Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. All right, now I'm going to talk briefly about the sponsors that make this podcast possible. And keep in mind that all the money from these sponsors goes towards hiring outdoor journalism interns. This year, we've hired three interns and paid them $15 per hour. And over the course of this podcast, we've hired seven different interns, not only helping us report on Oregon's outdoors, but also teaching young college students journalistic skills that they can carry forward. Plus, it's a pretty fun internship anyway. They get to travel outdoors, report about the environment. It's a good gig, and these sponsors make it possible. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that before we get rolling. So this part, you'll recognize this podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast, which reminds you that winter safety is paramount, especially during the king tides and heavy rains that characterize this season. King tides result from the gravitational pull of the moon and sun and can cause exceptionally high tides that may flood coastal areas at specific times. To stay safe, it's critical for residents and visitors to be aware of high and low tides and coastal flood warnings. Stay informed, heed warnings, and be prepared for rapidly changing conditions to ensure winter safety on the Oregon coast. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department invites Oregonians to explore parks this fall and winter to experience the beauty of these seasons. If you're camping, Remember to get firewood from sources local to your destination to avoid bringing invasive insects, such as the devastating emerald ash borer, into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forests for seasons to come. Learn more about protecting Oregon's ash trees at stateparks.oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, we're going to talk briefly about the incoming blizzard and the opening of all of Oregon's ski areas which is great news. Before we dive into our feature stories about Oregon's most beautiful and troubled hot springs. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, well, hey, thanks for joining me today. And if you cannot tell, I am in a great mood because the winter gods have finally smiled on us and are in the process of delivering a whole truckload of snow to Oregon's mountains and maybe even the Willamette Valley later this week. So in this edition, we're going to talk a little bit about the weather and Oregon's long-awaited winter recreation season, but our main focus is going to be on a place that almost defies description. I think it's fair to call it Oregon's most beautiful and enjoyable hot springs, And truly a -a one-of-a-kind experience if you happen to catch it at the right time and moment. But if you don't, if you catch it at the wrong moment, 
It has in the past devolved into a nightmarish place of lawlessness populated by Manson family wannabes who leave giant towers of poop among the hot springs. And no, sadly, I'm not exaggerating. I wish I was. We'll get into the details later. It's the only place I can think of that hosts such extremes, such high highs and low lows. And the place I'm talking about is, of course, the famous, the infamous Umpqua Hot Springs. In this episode, I'll talk about how a good hot springs went wrong, and more importantly, how to give yourself the best chance to enjoy this magic spot at the right time of year and the right moment. And fun fact, that moment is right about now or the next few months. So those are our topics for today. Let's get rolling. Okay, so we're going to start off talking a little weather and a little winter recreation. So unless you are living under a rock or listening to this podcast from a much warmer location, you probably know that this is going to be an interesting week in Western Oregon. We've got just an absolutely insane amount of snow forecast for the Cascade Mountains, possibly up to four feet at past level just on Tuesday and Wednesday alone. And the forecast stays cold and snowy for the foreseeable future up and down the Cascades. Down in the Willamette Valley, we might see snow, but that's always a really tough thing for meteorologists to predict, so I am not going to make any proclamations about that here. It could happen. It might not. The ingredients are there, but the ingredients are there plenty of times during the winter and the snow just doesn't show up because it's hard for snow to fall in the Willamette Valley for a number of reasons. I'm just not going to get into here. Now, the downside of this big incoming blizzard, and the National Weather Service even issued a rare blizzard warning for the Cascades, is that there are going to be a ton of accidents and search and rescue missions from people getting stuck in the snow. Because look, Oregonians are notoriously not the most adept population at driving in the white stuff. If you need evidence, just go check out the hilarious Instagram page, the Govy 500 which is basically devoted to people getting stuck or making poor decisions while driving around government camp up on Mount Hood. Now, I'm not trying to minimize the challenge of driving in the snow. It's really hard even for people who drive in the snow all the time. You know, you can spin out. It happens. When I lived in Minnesota, it certainly happened to me. It's just that Oregonians, because we don't deal with snow on a day-to-day basis, when we finally get up there, it can get a little dicey. And actually, if you want to read one of my favorite pieces of writing, I wrote it years ago during an infamous low elevation snowstorm where I talked about the different types of Oregon drivers, the California transplants, the Midwest transplants, the longtime Oregonians and how they dealt with low elevation snow. It's one of my favorite pieces of writing. You can still find it out there online somewhere. So maybe I'll post it uh, with the page that goes with this. But anyway, that's the downside. Crashes, search and rescue, that's all real trouble. It's legit. Uh, So be careful if you're out on the roads or driving in the mountains. The really good news, of course, is that this storm is launching us into full winter recreation season. Lower elevation ski areas like Hoodoo Ski Area, Mount Hood Ski Bowl, and Mount Ashland have already announced that they will open this week. And I suspect Willamette Pass will be right behind them. So we should have every ski area 
Oregon Open. And that's not nothing. This is a big deal because of how little snow we had gotten so far this year, up to this point, really. In addition to the ski areas all opening, the snow is going to be low enough that it opens up most of Oregon's snow parks for snowshoeing and cross-country skiing. And we could even see some snowy waterfalls like Sahaley, Proxy, Tumlo, Watson, and Salt Creek and Diamond Creek Falls in play. Like those should be accessible via snowshoe and skis. If you haven't listened to our older episode on how to ski or snowshoe to snowy waterfalls, or our winter recreation guide to Sanium and Willamette Passes using those great snow parks, which can be a really underutilized resource, it's worth listening to those for sure. You can find those in our archive of episodes. One place that's probably not on your radar that I would love to travel this year is over into eastern Oregon to Anthony Lakes Mountain Resorts in the Elkhorn Mountains. Now, I've spent a lot of time out in that area in the summer when it becomes one of the best hidden gems in the state, you know, backpacking the Elkhorn Crest Trail, going to Anthony Lakes to camp with your family. It's fantastic. But what I'm told is that there's an incredible little ski area out there, an amazing backcountry, cross-country skiing and snowshoeing. And I'm kind of hoping to make it out there this year so I can report more on this. Uh, but it's like a six-hour drive. I've got kids in school, so it's so it's tough to pull off. I hope I can, but if I don't make it, you listeners should consider it. I've been told it's a wonderful little family-friendly hill, that there is just beautiful sights all around. And I believe it, the, the ski area is up at around 7,000 feet. So it's pretty high up there. You know, if you've got the time, you know, you've got the energy, head out to Anthony Lake Ski Area and, you know, see what's out there. I don't think I have much else on the winter recreation season other than to make sure you buy your annual snow park permit and get out there and explore. You know, if you've never been to Maxwell Butte Snow Park um, and up to Mountain View Shelter, you know, make that trip. If you've heard our podcast last week where we talked about Jefferson View Shelter outside Sisters, another great place to make that trip. And you get there through Upper Three Creeks Snow Park. There's so many cool little spots tucked away in the Oregon backcountry in winter. You know, I've been exploring for well over a decade and still haven't seen everything. So, you know, that's my plug for the snow park permits. They're typically just 25 bucks. You can buy them online from the DMV. And if you don't know, snow parks are just places that they plow out. Often there are blue marked trails leading out from them that you can ski or snowmobile or snowshoe from. Last thing here, and not to end this segment on a downer, but the weather system we're seeing right now is not expected to necessarily stick around all winter. Uh, it's still an El Nino year, and projections mean it still should be warmer and drier than normal on average. So January has been great. This early January is fantastic. It looks really good for the foreseeable future, but take advantage of the snow while we've got it. You can never take it for granted these days. Okay, we're going to jump to kind of an early break here to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about Umqua Hot Springs in the winter, how to get it done, and why it's really important to try and visit when this place isn't crazy, because as you'll hear, it can get really crazy. So that's when we return. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. 
I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water, and it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. The Tillamook Coast welcomes you for local coastal adventures. And while we invite you to explore the natural beauty of Oregon's coast during the winter season, we also advise you to be aware of winter weather and plan for it. You may picture yourself hiking through lush forests, beachcombing along rocky shores, or discovering tide pools teeming with life. Yes, the Tillamook Coast offers a unique playground for outdoor enthusiasts and nature lovers alike. But nature's power is undeniable, especially during king tides and heavy rains. Stay safe by checking tide schedules and monitoring coastal flood warnings. Always keep an eye on weather forecasts and road conditions. Remember to pack essentials like water, flashlights, and warm clothing. If you plan to hike, avoid areas prone to landslides during or after heavy rainfall. Explore our region's winter wonders, but do so with safety in mind and a deep respect for the forces of nature. To learn more about winter weather on the Tillamook Coast, visit TillamookCoast.com and plan your unforgettable winter journey. All right, welcome back. Well, if you listen to our year-end podcast about the best trips of the year, I did mention Umpqua Hot Springs a little in passing, but honestly, I barely scratched the surface, and this really is a place with a much deeper story to tell, not only about how to enjoy it during the winter, but also about why it has been such a crazy place with a crazy reputation. So let's start with the reason that this place is so sought after. Now, if you've never been, Umpqua Hot Springs is a cluster of pools with a combination of hot and warm water in remote forests between Roseburg and Diamond Lake in Umpqua National Forest just off Highway 138. It's actually really close to the trailhead for Tokety Falls if you've ever been there, and that is definitely one of the most famous waterfalls in the state, frequently visited. Umpqua Hot Springs is just up the road. So these pools are just amazing little kind of rock pool bathtubs, which is great to start with, but it's really the view that takes it to the next level. The pools sit on a cliff right above the North Umpqua River in this forested canyon of beautiful incense cedar trees. You'll even have bald eagles float past up the canyon if you catch it at the right moment. It's just a stunningly beautiful spot, and when you're sitting in the hot springs, maybe drinking a beer, you know, experiencing all this stuff around you, you can understand why people love this place so much. The problem is, everybody loves this place so much, and if that phrase love to death were ever to be applied, I think this is definitely the place. It's got plenty of visibility, you know, through social media and online stuff, and just improvements the Forest Service has made to the parking lot and the trail and the bridge over the years Back in the day, it was actually much harder to get to, but it's it's pretty easy to get to now, and so that's made it 
popular up there. On previous trips that I've taken there, it was always crowded. You know, if you go during the summer, you often have to wait for pools to open up. And that doesn't always happen uh, in a speedy time period because nobody really wants to get out of the pools. So it's never really been a place to go for solitude, at least in the recent years, I would say over the past 10 years or so. And public hot springs in general don't work like that, especially the well-known ones. The same is true, you know, at Terwilliger Hot Springs, at Bagby Hot Springs, at McCready Hot Springs, just the way it goes. You know, a lot of people know about these places. A lot of people love them. And so they're pretty crowded. There is, however, at least a way to improve your odds of it not being super crowded. And that is to go in the dead of winter after they close the access gate on the road that leads to the Umpqua Hot Springs trailhead. So typically in December, Umpqua National Forest will close a gate about 2.5 miles from the trailhead. They do this because that when the snow levels get low, cars frequently get stuck back there on the forest roads. And it's a major hassle to get them out for county law enforcement, for county search and rescue. It's a big cluster. So that's the reason they put the gate down. So that last 2.5 miles is closed to cars, but it is open if you want to hike bike, or ski and snowshoe when the conditions warrant. And it'll probably be snowy this week, by the way. So if you want to do that ski or snowshoe time, this upcoming week is probably that moment. So, you know, there's there's a practical reason to close it, to stop cars from getting stuck. But it also creates this sort of quiet season at Umqua Hot Springs. Um, officials with the Forest Service told me that once the gate is closed, the number of visits to Umqua Hot Springs decreases by about two-thirds. It doesn't mean you're going to have the place to yourself, but at least helps the odds. So uh, in late December, a friend and I headed out there midweek, just before Christmas, and there wasn't any snow at the time, so we ended up riding our bikes, and that worked out really well. It's a pretty gradual ride, and you know, if you have the bikes, you get there pretty quick. So you just travel the 2.5 miles to the trailhead. You know, we stashed our bikes and locked up. And then we hiked the quarter mile from the trailhead to the hot springs. When we were there, there was only one other person there for most of the time. And then two other couples showed up. So it got, so it wasn't like we had the place to ourselves, but it was still a pretty quiet experience by Umqua standards. Now, this isn't always going to be the case at Umqua, even in this off season. Uh, you know, I have a, a friend, Kayla Sulak, who's actually been on this podcast before. And one thing she mentions, like, you know, she went there on a snowy day in the off season and she got to the hot springs and it was still packed. So, so there's no guarantees. But if you head out there early, you're going in the off season, you're doing that, you know, extra five mile round trip hike. You know, the odds are just better that you're going to have a good experience. And that's not nothing. Because as I'm going to get into here, this place can get pretty weird. Now, there has always been this colorful element at Umqua, at Hot Springs. I and mean, that's just what happens when you have such a desired place. Hot Springs are at a remote location. And if you travel there, like you can see evidence of it. There's graffiti everywhere. The bridge is colored a rainbow color, which is is kind of, you know, I think it's kind of cool, but it's it's a little weird. You just don't see that, you know, out in remote forests. The entire bridge looks like a rainbow. You know, it's, it's common to see nudity, people smoking weed, people drinking. But that's kind of par for the course, again, for these remote hot springs out in the forest. 
But the difference here is that right around 2015 or 16, things at Umqua went from colorful to downright dark. There was a group that set up a long-term camp nearby and basically tried to take over the hot springs. They were described as Manson family wannabes by one person who had the misfortune of dealing with them and wrote me and wrote me a long and detailed description of the experience. This group left trash, they cut down trees, there was illegal campfires, and even left massive piles of human excrements next to the hot springs. They dumped beer in the pools, did every kind of drugs you could imagine, and threatened or tried to recruit, especially females that they came across who came to Umpqua Hot Springs. So it was a bad situation, and it had been bad for a while. The report that I got was from, her name was Molly Brady, and here's how she described it. She said, there were tons of people or followers as they described themselves at the camp. They called themselves the forest outlaws and their leader told us he had several wives and tried to get me and my friends to come travel with him. They were rude, obnoxious, disrespectful to women and other hot springers, and the drug use was nothing short of a crack house. There was meth, psychedelic mushrooms, and several of the followers were under a drug called DMT. At one point, the group got so rowdy and worked up that they were yelling and screaming that this was their home and they were going to take it over. She ended with this thing saying, you know, I frequent hot springs all over the Pacific Northwest, Nevada, and California, and I've never come across anything like this. So that was from a woman named Molly Brady that I talked to about the situation, and this was back in 2015 and 16. So the straw that broke the camel's back here that started to get it changed probably for the better was that, you know, human excrement or poop that had built up a lot around the hot springs. People, there's a bathroom there. People just weren't using the bathroom. So the Forest Service did E. coli tests there and they were so sky high, it was deemed unsafe to soak in the pools. And so they shut it down in 2016. But people still went there, and I swear this is true. People started bringing up bottles of bleach and pouring it into the hot springs to try and kill the bacteria. Now, it is definitely illegal to pour strong disinfectants into waterways in the national forest. So, yeah, it was just a pretty wild situation. The big thing that the Forest Service did to try and curb this crazy situation was outlawing all camping within a quarter mile around the hot springs. And that's helped the problem quite a bit, or so I'm told. There haven't been reports of that same level of forest outlaws setting up camp there and trying to take over the hot springs, but there are still plenty of incidents up there during the busy season. It's still a place where the county and the Forest Service law enforcement gets called quite a lot. In fact, this year, we're in the place where you park your car at the gate if you want to do the off-season trip. So you drive up the road, you park on the side of the road, This year, the Forest Service has spread a gigantic pile of gravel across the road right in front of the gate. And you're like, why are they doing that? There's a a gate there. Well, the gravel is a second barrier that they need because vandals keep breaking open the gate. And when they break it open, people don't know it's closed. And that leads to a lot of people getting stuck in the snow. So while the situation has definitely improved at Umqua, it's always going to be just this combination beautiful and wild and weird place so anytime you go there kind of keep that in mind have your expectations you're probably going to see some nudity 
there might well be drug use or alcohol use. It's just, you know, that's it is what it is. So if you want more on this story, I have a pretty in-depth look at one we just published, and you can read it up at statesmanjournal.com. All right, well, that's all I've got uh, for this week. This is kind of a shorter episode, but I'm going to come back. We're going to, you know, start the new season, the new year strong, and we're going to have some new features, uh, including one where I plan people's vacations, and I'm really excited about that. So if you want to email me, if you have any questions or want me to look through our archives and plan out like kind of the perfect trip for you, that's kind of the idea that we're coming up with. I'm going to work with other people with... uh, other agencies and stuff. And so, you know, if you, if you're looking for like the perfect family vacation or, you know, the perfect trip to Oregon, uh, we're going to try to solve that problem. And so that's going to be part of the new features coming up in this year, 2024. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.